Good morning. What a true delight to be with you. I am so happy to get to see you. You don't mind, I'll just take a moment to just look at you. <laughs> because um, that's what it's all about. <laughs> and um, having time together. <laughs> you know what I told them one time when I was pastor at Montgomery First and <laughs> they were trying to get people to register for something and so they put in the bulletin, hurry, hurry, hurry. And I said, please take that out of there. All my people do is hurry, hurry, hurry all day long. We don't need any more hurry. We need time uh, to be together. Uh, we need more than anything else. And the unusual thing that churches specialize in is we build places where we have time to be together. That is an amazing thing. That is a great gift. And this church is a great gift. It brings a smile to our face every time we think about it. And we do think about it a lot because um, the, the nature of who you are and um, our seven years here, formative years, place where our son went to junior high school and high school, graduated, and um, we got to share with you and uh, all kinds of life experiences, uh, weddings, um, recognizing those who've transferred their membership to heaven and celebrate their lives and then work together in this wonderful church. So just understand, this is for us a very special place where that, that calls forth a lot of uh, who we are and who we want to be as we look at you. And also to get to be with uh, Sterling and Leanne and uh, Kristen and her husband Micah. We were on staff together in Dothan and in, at Montgomery, and so I've known them for years. And part of what I know about them is uh, their, their deep commitment to Christ and their love for the church, which lines up with you just perfectly. And so I'm extremely excited about that. Um, it would be um, tempting to take all my time just to say thank you, but I do want you to know that we are um, uh, delighted to be here with you, and especially on a day like this. Um, this is, it, it is easy sometimes for Christians to overlook this, this, uh, uh, the, the, today is Ascension Sunday. Jesus rose on Easter, 40 days later, which was this past Thursday, was the 40th day, Christ ascended to heaven. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that during that 40-day period, he, he uh, showed himself, revealed himself with many convincing proofs to the, the followers and believers who were there. That's how um, Easter faith was born. And then on the 40th day, he ascends to heaven. And we're going to read what happened after that in just a moment during that ascension. And so this is the Sunday called Ascension Sunday when Christians around the world are celebrating that. It's very easy for the ascension aspect of the Christian faith to be overlooked. And so we want to ask, what in the world difference could that make in our lives? And as it turns out, it could be a tremendous difference. So this is a reading from Acts chapter 1. Um, I'm going to begin with verse 6. This is after, the, after, remember Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and he ends the gospel of Luke with Jesus ascending to heaven, and it begins the Acts of the Apostles with Jesus ascending to heaven. So he ties them together that way. And then he says, when the believers had come together, they asked Jesus, he's been appearing to them now over 40 days, and they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I read the, 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 the role, we were just reading the role of the earliest Christian church, <laughs> the people who were there. And when I saw the name Philip, I wanted to thank you again for your prayers for our son Philip. He continues to be cancer-free, and he, uh, this next month will be one year since the treatment ended, and we continue to thank God. Well, that's a great celebration in our lives, and you, by your prayers, have been a part of that. So we thank you for it so very much. One of the things, Sterling and uh, Krista and I will tell you, if we're, and we want to be honest about this with you, is we learn so much from our church members. They are our teachers. It's unbelievable. I mean, they've so, many, so often they've taught me about the importance of time in the service. <laughs> They'll hold up their watches. I had one who would do that. So. Robert Flowers, Flowers <laughs> Hospital, Dothan. Robert would, would say, now, when you see me put my elbow on the end of the pew, that's time. No. <laughs> we went to high school together. He, he had no respect at all. But <laughs> church members, if you'll listen to them, there's a tremendous wisdom in the body of Jesus Christ, the church, if you'll pay attention to it. And... Uh, when we were serving, starting and I were serving in, uh, Kristen knows that because uh, you saw the respite ministry, the dementia ministry develop in Montgomery. Now we've, we've started 30 around the country, we've got 20 more getting ready to come online. It's wonderful. It's all, lay, it's all led by the church members. Sterling and I in Dothan, uh, there was Channel 4, it's a TV station there. And uh, a new meteorologist, a new weather person came to Dothan and uh, uh, just out of Mississippi State University, they have a meteorology school there. Her name was Ashley Brand. When I first met Ashley, I, I met her. Not only had I seen her on TV, she was a new weather person, but she started coming to church. And I mean like every Sunday. When you see a single 23-year-old young adult sitting in church on Sunday with regularity, preachers notice these things. And so I sat down to talk with her. Ashley, let, let me get to know. She said, well, I come to this church. I could hardly wait to hear. Why do you come? I, I, you know why I come to this? No, Ashley, why do you come to this church? 
Because you say the Apostles' Creed. Do you think I was expecting that? No. I come to this church, i just be clear with you, preacher, because I don't, I'm not worried about the style of music, the architecture of the sanctuary, uh, various things that you may think are very important. But when I come in here, I come to this church because you always say the Apostles' And then she added, and the Apostles' Creed is what holds my life together. Wow. I've never had a conversation. I wish you could have heard the depth of conviction with which she said that. And then she proceeded to tell me about in her short 23-year lifespan of various twists and turns and ups and downs and pulled here and jerked there by things in life. But the one thing to which she always returned is, can I be with a congregation on Sunday morning where they know how to say, I believe God, Father Almighty who's bigger than the problems I'm wrestling with in my life. I believe in Jesus Christ. Only Son, our Lord, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin. And Ashley Brand, 23 years old, became my teacher in that moment. She's caused me for many years to reflect, do I take what we do in worship as seriously as she does? Because she was saying, preacher, there's a part of the service that holds me together. Um, she was making so many statements in, in, that, uh, in that moment. She was, she was letting me know that while I appreciate my wonderful family, that is not what holds me together. Appreciate my job, not what holds me together. Appreciate my education, not what holds me together. Appreciate my various commitments in society, not what holds me together. What holds me, and when you think about it, she's on to something. Wouldn't it be helpful to every single person in a church, in a community, in the world, if they could define for themselves what is it that brings cohesion to my life. That when stuff crumbles, when things fall apart, when everybody around me seems to be falling apart, when I'm in this one chaotic periods, when everything that I've been accustomed to and used to might seem to be shaken, is there something that's not shaken that actually holds me together. Think how liberating that would be. It would mean I could talk to you about anything and whatever your thoughts about it might be, I could hear them without feeling like they are going to invade my life and, and cause my foundation to crumble because you're not what holds me together. And while I might value your input and it might be a blessing to me, your input is not what holds me together. What if a person could define, as this 23-year-old did, what it is that holds me together? And what if it were to be something that's bigger than the immediate moment? <laughs> what, if, what if it were to be something that goes back 2,000 years and has been tested? <laughs> Proof of concept is there in the Christian faith. And she nailed it. By saying, that's what it is. Because if you believe in God the Father Almighty or maker of heaven and earth, people who believe that live in a certain way. People who believe in Jesus Christ as only Son, our Lord, crucified, dead, and buried. Third day, rose from the dead. And what does the next part say? He ascended into... Well, this is Ascension Day. This is the day to remember that it is the Orthodox Christian faith that we affirm in the Apostles' Creed, and that is what holds us together. It's not that the words are magic, it's that the God, the God to whom they point is, in fact, the cohesion of our lives, and the 23-year-old got that. And brothers and sisters, 
This, I'm sure this is not true of anybody here. But I'm around a lot of churches and a lot of Christians who seem not to know that. <laughs> one time I went with Cheryl on one of her, what I call, economic mission trips. <laughs> to flea markets and antique stores. I like it when they have books in there. And if they'll also have rocking chairs <laughs> and a coffee pot <laughs> and cookies. I don't demand much, but just <laughs> then she can stay all day. And it was on one of her economic mission trips that I was looking through the book section. She never looks at the book section. I look into the books. And it was a slender little green volume I pulled out because I like the title of it. Patterns of Panic. Would that interest you? The book was written by the Red Cross in Netherlands, the Dutch Red Cross, I guess it would be, uh, for use in World War II. And the book was about civil defense among the civilian populations. And the book said what the enemy always wants to do is throw the populace into a panic. If they can get you and your neighbors crossed up with each other and fearful of each other, looking suspiciously at each other, they got you. Then that can lead to the stampede response, and you'll go wherever they want you to go then. The most dangerous person for the enemy is somebody who is non-anxious, not pulled one direction or another, in fact, that's what the whole book is about, how to breed that kind of confidence in the civilian population. Otherwise, you'll fall into a pattern of panic. And Ashley Brand was teaching me that there's a 2,000-year-old principle called the Apostles' Creed that can do that if the people who have it, who own it, will use it every chance they can get. And so I, I, I invite us today on Ascension Sunday to remember that part of the creed. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I, I preached, I used that one time. I don't think they got it, but I preached one time baccalaureate at Huntington College. And I used this passage. And I said to all these students who just wanted me to get through so they could get on, I said, you ought to love this passage. Because whether you are male or female, whatever color you are, whatever race you are, whatever religion you are, this says nobody's ideology is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. But it's Jesus. And he already loves you. So you really ought to lean into this. Because this is what makes a level playing field for everybody in the world. Um, Sterling read how Paul said from Ephesians. What it means is God put this power to work in Jesus when he raised him and put him at the right hand. Now, Jesus can truly be the savior of the whole world. He's not limited to one locality. That's what we affirm in the Apostles' Creed. It holds us together. And if, if we as the church, what would, do we understand that while there, there definitely are lots of issues in the world, uh, in Mobile has its issues, uh, the Methodist Church has its issues, families have their issues, the key thing is to ask, what finally holds me together or else I will succumb to every, all these forces and be pulled apart and I won't be good to anybody then. So what's going to hold me together? I love it when Cheryl looks in her closet and says, 
My closet is a mess, but my life's not a mess. You don't have to come apart. The reason for all those Bible studies we've done around here for years and vacation Bible school and worship is to say we, we build strength. We, we put in cables in people's lives, and you are not going to fall apart. As long as you understand, I believe God the Father Almighty. So this, uh, the orthodoxy is finally more interesting than heresy. Heresy may seem to uh, get a few giggles for a while, but it doesn't last very long. But it's this 2,000-year-old orthodoxy that is strong enough to hold everybody together. And, and, and also, by the way, to address social issues of one kind or another. I had that experience in Montgomery. Uh, I would drive to church, and I was driving past all kinds of churches, and many of them were Methodist churches. we got 40 denominations in the country, trace themselves back to John Wesley. Nazarene, Salvation Army, Congregational Methodist, Wesleyan Methodist, all these. And so I thought, what if we all got together? What a witness to the community that would be. And so the Holy Spirit, I said, somebody ought to do something about that. And the Lord said to me, like, you know, you got a telephone, so why don't you do that? So I called the pastors, all the AME, Amy Zion, CME, Hispanic. And you know what we did for several years? We started having joint services of worship on Pentecost. Pentecost, the birthday of the church. We'd be in the sanctuary at First Methodist Church. We'd have 500 people there, multicolored looking group from all over, mass choir from all the various churches, and it was a hallelujah moment. It was Pentecost, but it was a witness to the community too, that in a world where people know how to divide and separate, we know how to come together. We know how to be a witness for Jesus Christ, which unites us. Now, interestingly enough, after that, we did this for several years, that led to more connection between black churches and the white churches. So that we then were able to have some uh, seminars on race relations. But race relations was never our agenda. Worshiping Jesus was our agenda. And we found that when we got our orthodoxy right, Jesus would lead us to talk about what we need to talk about in the way we needed to talk about it. Then the next thing I know, they wanted to have a meeting with the police chief. Talk about community policing. But that was never our agenda to do that. It was, first, we worshiped Christ. Then we found we could take care of any business we need to take care of. And lastly, we started having Lenten covenant groups among the black churches and the white churches. And out of one of those came this statement. I wasn't there, but it's been reported to me what Eleanor said. Eleanor said to the members of the black churches in, in her Lenten covenant group, y'all, this is all great and wonderful. I hope it goes well, but we're from different cultural backgrounds. So what if I say something that is offensive to you and I don't know it? And this beautiful, wonderful black lady speaks up and says, well, you just talk honestly and normally. And if you say something that offends us, we'll just hear it the best way we can. Now, be honest. Have you ever had the privilege of being in a group where somebody said to you, we're not going to play gotcha. We're not going to take the words that you said and tell you what we think you meant by it. Has anybody ever said to you, whatever you say on any subject, I'm going to hear it. Not the worst way I can, but I'm going to hear it the best way I can. 
That's the kind of church I want to be part of. Because what that church is saying is, you're not what holds me together anyway. That's what the black lady was saying. You just spit it out there. You're not likely to insult me in ways I haven't already been insulted. So just be normal because you're not what holds me together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how once you lean into what that 23-year-old was teaching me, you realize, well, yeah, it is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit that holds us together. But how easy it is to think that something that you have to hold me together, that you can do something to me that could tear me apart. But you can't if I let you. But that's the reason I keep saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And in Jesus Christ, his son, and in the Holy Spirit. And that Lipton Covenant group worked because we shared a common orthodox theology. So I learned from working with that group in Montgomery that we had a kind of freedom to relate to each other through Christ that if we had had an agenda of what we're going to talk about, I don't think it would have worked that way. So I want you to notice this. When Jesus ascends to heaven, now, the one they've been following for three years is gone. And remember, the rest of this passage talks about it, gives a list of who was there when they went back to Jerusalem. And it was Peter and James and John and Matthew and Philip and Thomas, Simon the Zealot. And remember, the Holy Spirit isn't coming yet for 10 days, so the Holy Spirit has not descended on them. So the purpose of this passage is Jesus ascends, and now all we have before us is the church be great when the Holy Spirit comes. But what is being taught in this passage is that's what you need to see right now, these people who are the church, because many churches today have forgotten to take themselves seriously, to look at the people God has brought together and realize we got everybody we need right here. Let, let's take a look at the church role here, the role that I read. Did you notice some interesting members of your church here? Um, there's Peter. You remember Peter, the one who was so quick to say, I'll never desert you, and then did it three times. You remember um, James and John? You remember in Mark chapter 3, what was the nickname Jesus gave James and John? Sons of thunder. That was not a compliment. <laughs> that, that was like, we got some real knee-jerk reaction folks right here in my group. And then, then, did you notice on the church roll of the people who were there, Simon the Zealot? You know what a zealot? You, know, you ever been around any zealots? Uh, the, the Jewish groups, you had the Pharisees, had the Sadducees. The Essenes were the monastic group that lived down in Qumran. But then there were the zealots. Uh, the zealots were zealous for the nation of Israel, and they wanted to overthrow the Roman government. There was a subgroup of the zealots called the Sicarii. They were the really militant ones. Sicarii means little dagger, and they carried little daggers in the folds of their robe so that you couldn't see them, and in crowds they would get up next to a Roman official and stick them with the dagger and run. But they really wanted to destabilize the Roman government. They were committed to that. Did you also realize that in that list is Matthew? And what was his job? Tax collector. So Simon wants to overthrow the Romans. Who does Matthew work for? The Roman government. So in this small group gathered here that we call the church, we've got people on opposite sides of the political spectrum. 
who have diametrically different views about a ton of things. And I wonder behind the scenes how, how often uh, Simon may have come to Jesus and said, I can't believe you got a tax collector in the group. Take a stand, Jesus. I mean, this is so wimpy. This is amazing. You got tax, tax collectors? Really? Is this where we're going? He's sold out to the Romans, and he gets to be in the group. I can't believe. I wonder how often Matthew went or the others went and said to Jesus, a zealot? Really? A zealot? He gets to be part of... But what it's teaching us is that's not who they were forever. They had become addicted to Jesus Christ. And that took everything about them and transformed it in a way that all of their abilities and their talents and their skills and their oomph and their passion can now be used in the same direction. And that's what you and I call a church. That's what our world needs to see today. People who are super confident that what we do is bring together divergent people, let them become addicted to Jesus, and then we have all the skills and talents we need or anything that we need to address. But it's very easy to be co-opted by various um, understandings in the world, by our, our own emotion, by patterns of panic. It's very easy to do that. But the good news is we don't have to do it. We have this picture of the early church that pulled together these divergent people and used them for the glory of God. So I, I'm hoping that churches will start asking themselves, how well do I know my own church members? How well do I know their story? How well do I know their talents? Haven't they all dealt with a variety of kinds of things in their lives that were disruptive and upsetting? And haven't they lived through some pretty tough things? What if we brought all that together for the good of the church? To be able to say to the world, in our church, we may not always know what we're going to do, but we know we're not going to fall apart because we know what holds us together. And so we just don't do that. I um, ran into a church like that, and I went to visit the church because I wanted to know what made them tick. When I was serving South Georgia, I uh, kept hearing that with the DSs and I would get together and make appointments. They would always talk about Central United Methodist Church in Fitzgerald, Georgia. You ever been to Fitzgerald, Georgia? Paula, actually Paula Harrison, Jerry, J J Paula Henson, Jerry Henson, had relatives from um, Fitzgerald, Georgia. Well, it's near, near Tifton. And uh, population about 8,000. Okay, here's how it got started. After the Civil War, there were lots of displaced Yankees and Confederates who didn't have a home. And the governor of Georgia said, if you're a, a Civil War veteran, you don't have a place to live, Yankee Confederate, you can live in Fitzgerald, Georgia. And uh, I didn't know that until I went there. The reason I went there was that the, the DSs were always telling me, no matter who we appoint there for 30 years, the pastor does well, the people are great, they, they, make, they make lackluster pastors look like great pastors, they get along with them, it's amazing. And I said, I gotta, I gotta know what's the DNA of these people. And so I went there, and they told me that story. And they said, you, they, before I went in the church, they said, they sat here in the street, and I looked, and all the streets on this side of town are named after Yankee generals. You don't see that in a lot of southern towns. And all the streets on this side of town are named after Confederate generals. And here's the story. This is where you had the Civil War veterans, Yankees and Confederates living here. And one year after the founding of the town, they were going to have a Thanksgiving Day parade. But they were smart enough to understand, let the Yankees have their parade first and clear out. I mean, we just were killing each other last year, you know, shooting across the trenches here. So let's just get them out of here. 
then let the Confederates have their parade and maybe nobody gets hurt. We hope so. The Yankee parade started and the Southerners said, hey, the war is over. Why don't we join the parade? And they did. And while a lot of people have been fighting the Civil War for a long time, they ended it in Fitzgerald, Georgia. And what they founded that day was a church. And that was the church I was about to go into. And it's right where the streets with Yankee's name on them and the streets with Confederate, it's right where the streets come together because the point they wanted to make is wherever things are all messed up in life, put a church there. Wherever people are all crossed up, plant us here. Because we're not going to choose sides. We're going to put our arms around everybody. We're going to be so addicted to Jesus that they will not tear us apart. We'll pull them in. Wow. That was the DNA I was touching 130 years later who said, who were saying to me, Bishop, we've already dealt with stuff so much bigger than worrying about the preachers and their little idiosyncrasies and whether we like it or not. We can handle anything because we know what holds us together. It's the story of Fitzgerald, Georgia. Why couldn't it be the story of every Christian church? Is there anything the world needs anymore than a church that knows the Apostles' Creed, knows who's at the right hand of God the Father, and knows that's what holds us together. And so we invite all the broken people in the world, whether they're zealous or tax collectors, come on in. We invite you to be addicted to Jesus with us. Would you join me as we do what Ashley Brands taught me was so important to do, as we say together what holds us together. May we stand as we say together the Apostles' Creed. And I, these days I've got to where I don't rush through it. I, I savor each word like I'm, like I'm eating a brownie or something. It's just so important. Think about this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried. Third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.